Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Good evening. Welcome to Young Adults. My name is Jared. I'm glad to be with you this evening. Hey, tonight we are talking about a subject that I feel like is pretty cliche or we we hear about in church, but I'm hoping to give it some things that we can hang on to, that we can hold on to, that we can know it by, and it's the word faith. Uh, If you've been around church or religion for a while, you've heard the word faith, and and really what we're going to focus on tonight is is the, the thing that we're thinking about is faith over failure, faith over failure. We're gonna be in Hebrews 11. If you have your Bible, open it up to that. If not, all the verses that we use are gonna be on the screens. Um, I think faith is one of those things that that we have a loose idea of that everybody kind of thinks through like, what does faith actually mean? Like if we get down to it and we try to put like a a description or a definition on like faith, we'd probably come to a lot of different things. Um, faith is just, is, is it spiritual believing? Is it just like something that wells up in your heart whenever you have an experience with God, whenever the band gets really good and you're like, I think I felt the Holy Spirit, I'm not really sure. Is that faith? What does faith actually look like? What does it feel like? How can I know what I have it? Um, how much is enough? I, I, I think it's easy to think of it in these terms. I look at, at, at my family or people in this church and you go, man, there's somebody that's just been walking with God for such a long time. They are, and we use this term, a hero in the faith. Maybe you have a parent or a grandparent, which they've been walking with God since like the 18th century. And you're like, man, you've seen so much. It's so incredible. You've seen so many wars and God's still good through it. You've seen so much family drama and God's still good through it. And, and it's just, you look at them and you're like, man, I just, I see your faith and I kind of see how mine doesn't measure up and you kind of see that tension there, right? Or maybe the person who led you to faith is here. Or maybe the person who led you to faith, you look at them and you're like, man, the thing like reading your Bible just comes naturally. Like I read it and I'm like, what, what, are, you, what are you getting from there? And they're like, preaching whole messages and you're like, that ain't me. Like, I just don't get this, this, why it fits for you and why it doesn't fit for me. Or you read stories about in the Bible and people that had this big faith and you're just like, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm grinding and I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, I'm trying, but I don't, I don't quite understand it. Um, so tonight I hope we can, we can help shore that up a little bit. Um, One of the things I like to talk about when I get in front of big groups of people are my athletic accolades. There's like seven of them, so I'm going to tell you one of them tonight. Um, This isn't even an accolade. This isn't even a great story of how bad I am at sports. Um, But when I first graduated high school, me and a bunch of guys started a a softball team. And uh, just so you understand, we we played some church league softball and did really well at that. But our first year, we played like beer league softball. Like you go down and you play with a bunch of guys that are just practicing, not hitting home runs. And uh, we thought we were doing really well against the first team. And it turns out they were a little little inebriated and they couldn't hit the ball out of the infield. We won our first game. It was like eight weeks of double headers. You play 16 games. We went one in 15. Okay. So we weren't everything. Um, and the next year we kind of wisened up and we're like, we need to play some church league softball, right? Like this, this is a little bit more our speed. It's like guys my dad's age just still trying to work it. Uh, and then their sons that had never played baseball before and they're like getting angry with, like that's what I need. And we started playing that. And, and about the same time, one of my friends uh, that, I, that was in my youth group at church 
was like, hey, can I, I'd love to play. And we were like, oh, yeah, you, you played in high school, didn't you? He was like, yeah, and I'm actually playing at JUCO, which is like, if you're good at baseball, you play at JUCO. And we were like, what, 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 do, you, what do you do? He's like, oh, I pitch. And he's like, I mean, I like to hit, but they never let me. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. And, and, and come to find out, well, I, it, I learned about this guy. His name's Charles. We went on a road trip, and we had a flat tire. So we stopped, and we're, we're waiting in a parking lot. We're waiting for a truck to come because we didn't have a spare tire. And we had our baseball gloves. And I was like, Charles, we don't play catch? And so we line up, and first of all, I'm like, we're in a parking lot, and he goes way further than I'm comfortable throwing consistently, okay? Um, next, we just start chucking the ball back and forth, and I, I throw him the first one, and, you know, it, it, it gets there, moonshots to him. And uh, Charles throws the ball, and what I learned about Charles is that Charles can throw a fastball 88 miles an hour, which isn't quite MLB quality, but it's, it's up there. Um, and Charles is, is throwing this baseball. I mean, the thing, mine's like arching 30 feet to get there. Charles is like frozen rope. It doesn't arch at all. It gets all the way there in a moment, and I'm like catching it. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Um, trying not to get hit in the neck with this, with this ball. Several times, I didn't catch it in the web of the glove. I caught it like with my hand, and I was like, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. Um, and I learned that day that Charles has a really good arm. So when we started playing uh, softball with Charles, uh, you get just assigned this random field in this church league softball, and it's, it's not an awesome field. And this, this is a true story. In the, the field that we played in, in the outfield, there was like a rock formation, like as big as these stairs, maybe, maybe like second or third stair, um, that was just like, there was just a second tier above it. And it was like 460 feet or something out to center field. Nobody was hitting home runs, just wild. So Charles was playing outfield for us, and I was playing like second base, and... Um, Charles would do this thing, we learned, that uh, the ball would go to him, and he would kind of like take a minute, take a minute, take a minute, and the ball would come in, and he'd watch the guy round first and go, oh, this guy's going slow, I can, I can get to second. And Charles would pop up, crow hop, and throw the ball into second, and here I am again, trying to not get hit in the neck, and also trying to apply a tag, and I, I don't think I got like one guy out all year, I'm just trying to, somebody backing me up, okay, we're good. So here's Charles throwing at 88 miles an hour across the baseball diamond all the time. And uh, a couple of funny things started to happen. When we were on that field that was like 450, 460 feet, uh, this funny phenomenon started happening. When the ball would get hit to the fence, uh, the, one of the guys that was around him that was playing right next to him, they wouldn't see like the cutoff man, the guy who comes in from the infield and is like, all right, hey, hit me. We would, we would just get the ball at the fence and look at Charles standing eight feet from us and go, you throw it in. It's going to work the same. He's going to get the ball in. He's got the arm for it. If I throw it in, it's going to like dribble eight times. It's going to hit the ground. I'm not going to look awesome. It's not going to help the team. So we started seeing this funny thing of the ball goes to the outfield and you go, where's Charles, Charles, Charles? Oh, there you go, Charles. And they just chuck that ball in and we, it was awesome. It was great. And here's the connection. I think that's what we do with our faith a little bit. We see the heroes of our faith, whether they're in the Bible or you see them around you in your group of friends or you see people around you, you go, hey, that's awesome for you and you're crushing it. But I just, I don't know how to do that. It's great that you can, but I have not figured out the secret that gets you the ability that you have. I haven't figured it out yet. Maybe one day, but I'm grinding to just do what I can right now. And maybe it's just me, but faith is one of those things that you read about in the Bible. You read 
in Ephesians that by grace you were saved through faith. That we walk by faith and not by sight. And you're like, there's so much about faith, but I just don't know that I can pick it up, take it with me, grow in it, restore broken faith. Because the chances are is that we're carrying some things with us when it comes to our faith that we see some failure in. That you probably have a season where you, something bad happened. And you could feel the failure of the doubt in your mind go, man, is God really as good as, and you feel that failure of your faith. And maybe nobody else saw it, but maybe when someone around you was sick, maybe when someone around you died, and you went, man, if God really is who he says he is, why, why am I feeling this way? I don't know that I can trust that God really is who he says he is. Maybe you had some type of moral failure, whether it's in yourself or in the people around you. Someone said they would do something and they didn't, and, and it hurt. And it kind of crumbled your faith a little bit. It kind of started seeing a little chipping away at the foundation of your faith. And you go, man, I don't know which way is up. Maybe you've been living with that, that failure, that past sin that you go, I, I, just, I just can't shake it. I look at somebody else and I go, man, you've never failed like I have, so my faith will never be what yours is. You take the ball. You throw it in because I just can't. And I think that's one of Satan's greatest victories that he has within the church of people that are saved that go, hey, I've got some faith, but I, when it's compared to yours, I just, it's not the same, so you throw it in. You haven't failed like I have, so you throw it in. My feelings aren't with it right now, so you throw it in. I'm not being everything that I know I can be. I'm not living up to my potential. You throw it in. And I think Satan whispers in our ear, man, you're such a failure. If anybody knew, they would even question if your faith is real. And then that begs a new question. How much faith is enough faith? How much doubt does God allow and go, ah, you're in, you're out? What's the scenario here? Well, tonight we're going to look at one of the places that says, this is what faith is. You can know what faith is in Hebrews 11. Now, what's happening in the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. They never name themselves. We never learn who it is. But it's someone who's writing a group of Jewish believers, Hebrews, who would have understood the things of God. They would have understood the things that happened in the Septuagint and Torah and understood kind of the heroes in the faith that have been. And what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's doing this master job of showing the Hebrew people, hey, this is the old, Jesus is the bridge to God, and he's it. You follow him, and he's it. So what is faith? In Hebrews 11, we're going to find that out tonight. Hebrews 11, verse 1 is where we're going to start. It's going to be up on the screen. This is what it says. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
I'm going to read that once again for myself. If you'd like to read along, you can. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, he's saying this is what faith is. And if you're like me, I read that in my prep for this. I wanted to speak about faith because I think that it's such an important thing. And as I was prepping for this message, I was like, man, I want this to be something that people say this is their year of faith. And this is the place that it started, that 2021 was a new thing for me. And I'm like, this doesn't help me clarify. (laughs) It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's poetic. It sounds good. But what does that mean in 2021 language? What does that mean? The assurance of things hoped for. I have a couple little definitions for you. If you're a note taker, you can write these things down. The assurance of things hoped for is the hope and trust in the promises of God. It's the hope and the trust in the promises of God. It's assurance of what we hope for. See, these Hebrew believers would have known and understood the promises of God in the Old Testament. And he's saying what faith is, is assurance. It's confidence. It's knowing those things fully to say, I'm going to persistently believe this. I'm going to put my hope and my trust, my future thinking and my right now trust in the promises of God. Not just randomness, not just some things that you think are good, but reading God's word and saying, what are the things that God says about himself, about his people, about the world? That's what I'm going to choose to believe. It's the assurance of the things hoped for, what God said would happen. Now, this is one of the things that we have to start answering. Now, if we read the Bible and we see God's promises We have to realize that God is either baseless and Jesus was an insane person or this is the God who really did create everything and he has dominion power over everything and we should live our lives underneath the authority of that. We have to make that decision. The assurance of things hoped for. What are the things hoped for? The promises of God. The second thing that we see is the conviction of things not seen. Conviction of things not seen is the commitment to obedience in God. The commitment to obedience in God. Now that's a lot of qualifying statements, right? (laughs) Commitment to obedience in God. Why is that important? Because God is going to raise the standard for our life to his holiness. In God, that's what he's asking us to do. That's what Jesus did and fulfilled. Now the truth is, even after you know Jesus, and I'll be be the one who stands up and says, "I'm, I'm the chief of sinners, I'm the first person to admit this here, that once you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you just stop sinning and your, your life is perfect and everything is coming up roses. But there's obedience that goes along with it. God, I want my life to look like yours. I'm going to fall short of that, so it's a commitment to it. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, I want to tell God, God, I tried to do everything that I could. I tried to obey everything that I saw in your word. That when I come across something that's different than what I already know, than what's comfortable for me, I'll go, God, that's different, and I don't know that I've done that before, but 
I'm committed to obeying you, so I'm going to make my best attempt in you with the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, here's what's true of these two things. You could take some words out and say, that, that's pretty close to truth. That's pretty close to reality. Um, if you take that word assurance that it's the hope and the trust and the promises of God, you could take out the hope and the trust and just say, I believe that there are promises of God. I've read through God's word, but you don't hope in them and you don't trust in them for yourself. That's what Jesus said that, man, the demons themselves believe that there's a God. You know better. It's no different. That if you look at that second statement in conviction of the commitment to obedience of God, if, if we just go, oh, I just, I'm going to be obedient to God, I'm going to fail that in a moment, in a day. That this is why we see Jesus say some things that parallel this. In Romans 10, he says, when the heart believes and it's justified. The hope and the trust and the promises of God. The heart believes and is justified. The mouth confesses obedience in Christ and you're saved. Because it's easy to read something like James that happens in a couple of pages where James says, hey, show me your faith without works and I'll show you a faith that does nothing. But then you have Paul that comes in and says, hey, it's by faith alone. Here's what we know as the truth. It is faith in God only that gives us justification to be made just like we were before we sinned in right standing with God. But it's the heart that says, God, you are so good. I want to follow you with my entire life. However that might look that says that is evidence of God in your life. Here's, here's a couple of examples. One is that we know that when Jesus was on the cross, there was a, a thief next to him that said, I want to believe in you. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to be with me today in paradise. That thief on the cross had zero works done for God. He didn't get down off the cross to start feeding homeless people. He wasn't feeding children. He wasn't telling people about him. It is not an obedience-based faith. Our faith is founded in Christ alone. But there's something to it to say, if you believe, it's going to change the way that you act. I'll say it this way. I got married in 2014. I had that marriage service, that wedding ceremony, and it changed the way I acted a little bit after that. I didn't go to the same house I went to before I was married. I didn't have the same allegiances that I had before I was married. I didn't have the same standing with the government as a married person before I was married. That just because of what God's done in our lives, it's going to change some of those allegiances and obediences because of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, you can't just start doing the obedience part and go, God, that's going to change everything. No, we have to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You can't take either part and just make that the main thing. You miss it. You miss the heart of God. But this is what he goes on to say. Hebrews 11, 2 and 3. He says, for by, for by it, he's talking about faith, people of old received their commendation. Another version says their report. That by faith, the heroes of the faith, the Bible, the people that you would have known, received their good report. 
that they would have looked at things and said, isn't it about just doing sacrifices? You read through Lamentations and you read about what has to happen when there's sin in the people and they, they have to put their head on a, on a bull and, and kill the bull and drain the blood at the altar and, and to make these sacrifices and dip their hand in the blood and sprinkle it seven times. And isn't that what it's about? And, and the author of Hebrews is saying it, it's, it's been faith. We don't negate obedience Obedience is part of faith. And this is a hard part because we want to make it one or the other. Tell me it's just, tell me I want to do it when I'm feeling it. Tell me that I've been doing a good job because I've shown up for the last 24 years and I've done my part and I haven't done what everybody else has done. And the author's saying it's the assurance of things hoped for in the conviction of things not seen. That it's the promises of God, that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life so that that sacrifice was not necessary anymore, that all that bloodshed happened on Jesus and that all of God's wrath that was being poured out on that sacrifice went to Jesus for me and for you so that we could have life together with Jesus, with God. And we put our faith and our hope in that. And then our lives, our picture of consistent obedience to God. Wouldn't it be something if you were forgiven such a big debt that you could never pay and a distant relative came in that you didn't know about and said, hey, I, I heard about you. I know your mom, and I wanted to pay that debt that you would never be able to repay. And you went, you never talked to them again. To understand the heart of the Father is to be close to him. You can't ever repay that debt. He's not asking you to, but he wants our obedience. But this is what he does with the rest of the book, or the rest of the chapter um, in Hebrews 11. He explains this is what faith is, that the old, the old have received their commendation. And I'll finish the verse. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then he starts in on what I've heard before is called the hall of faith. These are all people that these believers would have known, they would have heard of, they would have known their names. And he starts with a guy named Abel. In verse four, he says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, still speaks. What's he getting at? He's saying that by faith, Abel, Gave a sacrifice that God honored. Now what in the world is he talking about? Abel was the second born son of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. They sinned and God banished them from the garden. And while they were banished, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel, 
I'm sure that their parents told them the stories of God. Man, can we tell you, I know there's an angel kind of guarding that, that spooky looking place over there. Um, but can I tell you what's behind it and why he's so terrifying looking? Um, in there was God's design. That's what God had for us. It was really good. And uh, actually what happened is that God walked and talked with us and it was a really cool scenario. But there was this fruit, looked really good. Uh, if you would have been there, you probably would have liked it too. Um, but uh, we chose to eat it, eat it, and God saw it and was, was, it broke everything. But God didn't just say, I'm done with you, get out of here. How dare you break what I made? He made a way. If you read that in Genesis 3, it says that he, God created the first ever sacrifice and clothed them when they realized that they were naked and ashamed. He clothed them with the first ever sacrifice so that they could have a covering for the sin that they had. And I'm sure that Adam and Eve would have told them the story and said, God is so good. He's still the same person. And we get to have a relationship with him. So he's so good. He's so awesome. So we give him a sacrifice. We give him everything. We, we just, everything is his. We love him. And if you read Genesis 4, 4 and 5, it says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering. But for Cain and his offering had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And, and you've probably heard this. You, you probably know that what happened afterwards is that Cain killed Abel in his anger because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain's was not. If you read it, what it says is that Abel gave his first fruits. The first things that he saw, the best things that he saw, he said, God, you're so good. I'm going to give you everything that you want. Any of it, all of it, it's all yours. You gave it to me, it's yours. And Abel showed up and said, yeah, I mean, God, or Cain said, yeah, God, God's good. I mean, if Abel's doing, my parents are doing, I'll give an offering too. God's good, right? How many of us have that view on faith? I mean, God's good, so I'll show up to church. When I hear about God's good, so I'll, I'll read my Bible. But have you been awestruck with how much God loves you? Have you realized that God saw you in your pain and he didn't walk away? He didn't banish you. He didn't say, man, I can't believe they messed up. He said, I'm going to send the thing that I value the most so that they can have life again. And when you look at it through that lens, you go, God, everything is yours. Why would I not give you what's rightfully yours? Why would I not give you my first fruit? Why would I not... Look at where my life is headed and say, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. Abel viewed God with awe and wonder of his might, of his perfection and his majesty. And the author of Hebrews is saying, by faith, Abel gave the first fruit. Do you give God the first, or do you give God, everybody else is coming off, I'll give an offering too. Man, seems like my roommate's better, I'll let, I'll let him throw it in. It was a sacrifice done 
in awe. The next character that you see by faith, Enoch. Enoch is the next character that we see, and he's just down a little bit further in uh, the genealogy. If you read through Genesis 5, you see his name come through. His dad was actually named Jared. Shout out any other Jareds in the room. Um, And he just has this little footnote, but it's such an interesting thing. This is what the author says about Enoch in Hebrews 11.5. He says, by faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. What in the world is that talking about? Did he cheat the system? Did he find the glitch in the game and just find a way to not die? If you look back at that genealogy in the middle, it's saying Methuselah lived 300 years, had a son. Jared lived 300 years, had a son named Enoch. He lived this many years and he died. I mean, this is what they're doing. And people are living 900 years, some crazy amount. It's not until a little bit later that God actually limits the age that people can live. And people are living like almost a century. And Enoch has this little, tiny, it's almost a footnote. This is one of the only other times that we see him, and this is what it says in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. He says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, meaning he did not die, for God took him. Enoch walked and talked with God in the same way we see his great-great-grandparents walking with God. The translation of what it means to walk with God is obedience and fellowship. He heard what God wanted from him and he said, okay. I also knew him. He understood both the awe that Abel had, and he also understood, I get to walk. I get to know and be friends with. I get to obey the authority of a God who I have no business being with. And he was so close to the heart of God for some reason. We don't know. And I want to know what it looked like. But God just let him get to about a third of the age that everybody else got to. And he said, it's your time. Come on. Come with me. There's a lot more people that we read about here. In the picture that you see is by faith, they obeyed. By faith, they heard their God, their creator, their redeemer, and they obeyed. And it's this picture of this, it's, it's awe and it's authority. Let me, let me finish what this says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re- skip past a couple, and then I'm going to read a big section. These, these are the ones that it talks about. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, the Israelites. By faith, 
Rahab. These are people they would have heard and said, okay, I know who that is. They didn't just figure things out in the right order. They had faith. They trusted God. They heard his voice. They read his promises. And then they obeyed. It's one thing to hear the promises of God in the Bible and go, I I can get on board with that. It's another to say, God, my whole body, my whole self, I'm putting it in line with what you're asking. My whole mind, my whole heart, I'm going to make a commitment to obedience to my God. Listen to what it says after that. In Hebrews eleven thirty-two. he says, what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell you. And he starts the list again. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Listen to this list. Listen to the things that he had his people do. The, the hall of faith. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And here's where there's a break in the story. We look at faith and we go, there's such big things at stake. I want the big faith. I want to do something big for God so everything else is underneath me. I'm not going to show up and serve. I'm not going to listen to the Holy Spirit when he tells me to tell that person about Jesus. I'm not going to serve that person at my work. I'm not going to be kind to the people at my school. I want that big faith stuff. But listen to what came along with the big faith stuff. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They were tortured and they said, all right, you can go. And they said, that's okay. I don't know if these people just didn't get it or they didn't have all their marbles or what was going on. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment and they were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep And goats, destitute, listen to these words, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and listen to this line, of whom the world was not worthy. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, that God looked at their faith in him and said, come home. Faith is both ends of the spectrum. It's like, God, I want to have all for you. But I also sit myself under your authority. You know what that is? That's worship. Not just singing songs. This is the picture. Patrick Mahomes on Sunday made some great plays. What do the fans do when it happens? Yes! You lift up your hands and you worship and say, you have a great ability that I do not have. And I worship it. I'm in awe of your ability. You go to a concert and you hear people sing and play guitar and instruments and you go, this is awesome. And we raise our hands in awe. But on the other end of the spectrum, The other time that we raise our hands in our culture is under the authority of the law. 
You put your hands on the steering wheel. You put your hands in the air. Why? Because there is an authority that is greater than you that you are submitting to. Faith is both. We need both. I'm not always going to feel the awe of God. I need to remind myself. I need to put myself in community so that I see what God's doing in your life. So I go, I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. But I see what God's doing in your life. And he is incredible. And I live in awe of that. And at the same time, we pick up God's word and we say, I'm under the authority of God's word and I submit. It's yours. That's worship. So when you're not feeling it, you worship. And you say, God, you better than I could ever imagine. God, you have saved me from a debt that I could never repay. God, I worship you. God, I see your authority over my life, and I worship you. Both in belief of the promises and hope and trust in the promises and commitment to obedience to our God. God, I worship you. On days I don't feel it, on days that I do feel it, on days that I'm feeling a little too much, God, I worship you. You're worthy. You're good. When you fail, and Satan swoops in in your failure and says, I knew your faith wasn't real. God, show him back up. I'm reminding myself of the awe of my God and the authority that I stand under. God, I know I've failed, but you haven't. You're still good. And I choose to worship in my failure, after my failure. When people hurt you, you show up to the one who will never fail you, who will wipe away every tear from your eye, and you say, God, I don't feel it right now because I'm hurt. God, I don't want to right now because I'm in a bad mood. That our faith does not have to be defined by our circumstances. Our faith is defined by the goodness of our God. Think about that for these men. For Abel showed up with a sacrifice. Why? Not because Abel had it all figured out, because he went, God, you're so good. Enoch walked with God in obedience and fellowship. Why? Not because Enoch had it figured out, because he said, God, you're so good. The rest of the people on this list, there was not anything special about them. They could not throw the ball far enough. They were people that showed up and said, God, you're good and I'm not, and I need you. 
We're all in the same boat. We all need Christ the same amount. We're all broken. But Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you lost tonight? The next verses in Hebrews 12, he says, therefore, and I was a good Baptist kid, I was taught when you read therefore, you go back and see what it was there for, and we just read all of that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, remember the list? That's the cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight. What's the weight that's around your neck right now? What's the weight that's keeping you from striving forward for God? If you're here and you're a believer and and it feels like there's a weight about you, I, I would just challenge you to just come and pray and tell God right now, God, I want to take this weight off. Why? Because it's not being obedient to you. To lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that was set before us. Not the race that's set before your grandma. Not the race that's set before the hero in the faith. Not the race that's set before your roommate. The race that's set before each of us. That you could set aside the weight so that you could run with endurance. You can run a short amount of time with a weight on you, but extra weight will weigh you down from being able to run with any amount of endurance. Verse 2 is the focus for it all. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. You look at things and you go, okay, Jared, if I could sit you down over a cup of coffee and just tell you how many times I've said the same thing to God. God, I, I'm, today's different. I'm going to be different today. I'm going to be better. And it wasn't. So I'm tired of trying. My faith is messed up. It's got some holes in it. It's not clean anymore. It doesn't look like anybody else's, but it's the one I got. He says, set your eyes on Jesus because he's the founder and the perfecter, established not by you, but by him. So when you say, I don't have faith enough, look to Jesus. God, my faith looks a little bent today. Well, he's the perfecter. It's him. Look to Jesus. Will you bow your heads?